Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 119. I can't believe that this is our last Sunday in our Psalm 119 series. What a blessing it has been. And um, I, hope, I hope that you all are impressed that I actually finished something in a reasonable period of time. It took us two years to get through Mark. It took us a couple of years to get through Zechariah. And uh, we, I tried to just power through this. I, I've enjoyed it so much. And so this morning, what I want us to do, if you don't mind, let's all stand. I want us to read this last section together. But what I want to speak on is, is what meditation does. What meditation does. So as, as David is getting to the end of this meditation on God's Word, some things are accomplished. Some things have been accomplished in his life. And that's what we're going to look at. But look with me in verse 169. Let my cry come near before thee, O Lord. Give me understanding according to thy word. Let my supplication come before thee. Deliver me according to thy word. My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. Let thine hand help me, for I have chosen thy precepts. I have longed for thy salvation, O Lord, and thy law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise thee, and let thy judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. Lord, please help us as we study this. And just, it's such a blessing. And I, I love the practical aspect of your word that we're going to look at today. So, Father, I pray that you'll help me to communicate it clearly. And, Lord, I pray that you are glorified through the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I know that people are a little sleepy right now. Getting over the time change, you have allergies. Um, Syracuse lost last night, and I know that broke your heart for many of you. It was sad. And the worst thing was, Jeremy, somebody from Texas beat them. That was, that was a bummer. But one of the things that I have so enjoyed about this Psalm 119 study is that we've learned these ten words that are repeated all through Psalm 119. And how each of these words, that it's not, it's not a useless repetition, but each of these words has a specific meaning. And so when that's in the text, we learn something about God's Word. So here in this last section, the, uh, we're going to go through this maybe three times, this eight, these eight verses. And I want to build something from the three verses each time, or from these verses each time. But the first thing I want you to notice are the words. So give me understanding, verse 169, give me understanding according to thy word, thy word. Now, the word can either be the spoken word of God or the written word of God in distinction from the words, the words. So this is, he wants to hear, he wants understanding from hearing God's word. Verse 170, let my supplication come before thee, deliver me according to thy Word. Then, thou hast taught me when thou hast taught me thy statutes. So, word and statutes. In verse 172, all thy commandments are righteousness. Verse 173, for I have chosen thy precepts. 
174, thy law is my delight. Verse 175, let thy judgments help me. And then in verse 176, for I do not forget thy commandments. So we have the word, we have the law, we have statutes, we have precepts, we have commandments, we have judgments. So the law, that's God's law. That's, that's what he has written. It's, it, it's very clear. His judgments are those things that God has judged. Where God declares something righteous, we need, to, we need to observe that as righteous. When God declares something evil, we need to view that as evil. Woe to him that calls good evil and evil good. That God's judgments, those things are good. God's ultimate judgments, whether it's at the great white throne judgment or the judgment seat of Christ, they are good Everything that God does is good, and I need to uphold those judgments and love them and delight in God's judgments because it helps me to learn and to perceive. I need to know what's right. Then, the statutes. I just, I think the statutes is my favorite of these ten words. These are the things that are engraved in stone, engraved in stone. Have you ever seen an amazing sculpture? Something that is just, it's just profound. That they, it's almost like they could make the stone come alive. It was either uh, Leonardo da Vinci or, or Michelangelo that said that somebody asked him, how do you do this sculpture? And he said, well, I have an image, say an image of David, and I just remove everything that's not David. Well, that makes it sound easy, doesn't it? I don't have any idea how you would ever do that. But this is something that's even different than that. This is God's law engraved in stone, like the stone tablets of the law. And what I love about those is they were written with the finger of God. Do you think that we're going to be able to see those someday? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to see? But we don't have those tablets, and the reason we don't have those tablets is, do you think maybe people would worship those? They'd come and they'd kiss it, and they'd think that maybe if I kiss this piece of stone, that my baby will be healed, right? When I was at the Vatican in St. Saint, Saint, uh, Peter's Basilica, and I would watch people go around and kiss these statues and pray to these things. And honestly, the quality of the art, the quality of the marble and the materials, it's beyond comprehension. But all of it violates Scripture. You're not supposed to bow down before graven images. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were kissing the toe of this statue. They're bowing before these images. What we are to honor is the God of the Bible by loving and learning his statutes. They're never going to change. That Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot nor one tittle of the law will pass away. Boy, that stability in this time of change, that stability, that rock-hard truth that we can stand on. There are lots of church ministries that are going to change. There are lots of churches and preachers that are going to go bad. We're going to put our faith in people, and those people will discourage us. But God's Word will never change. Man, I love that, that concept of the statutes that we've been learning about. And we're going to learn something about the commandments in a minute. But those precepts... Those precepts are those, th- those truths of God that we are commanded to speak to others. 
And so it has been so much fun looking at the judgments, looking at these things and understanding them. And so I hope that as you read the Bible from now on, that when you see commandments, when you see judgments, when you see words, when you see precepts, that you'll, you'll think back, you'll be reminded of these definitions. And, uh, and I hope that that's been a help to you. But what is the result? So this is our second time through the text now. Can, that was fast, wasn't it? This is our second time through the text. What are some things that David learned? What are some things that were accomplished in the psalmist's life? We come to the end of the psalmist's meditation on God's word. The first thing that I want you to know is the more he knows about God through his word, the more he wants God to come to him. Think of the distinction. Think of the distinction. For me, my desire has always been to enter into the throne room of God in prayer. To, I, I want to have access into God's presence. I want to know God better. And, and I want to spend more time in his presence. Y'all understand what I'm saying? David understands that he can never genuinely draw near to God without God taking that first step. That ultimately, it is God who is the seeker. We're going to see that again in a minute. But notice what it says in verse 169. Let my cry come near before thee, O Lord. What's happening in this text is David is calling out to God and he doesn't want help from anyone else but God. And he wants that request to come close to God. He wants God himself to hear it. Um, have you ever been in a store or maybe on tech support or customer service and you're dealing with a representative and you just understand you're not getting what needs to happen? What do you say? Let me talk to your supervisor. You ever done that? And generally speaking, they don't speak English. And you're just ready to, you know, shoot yourself. Let me talk to your boss. You're dealing with someone in a store. I need to speak to the manager. Why do you say that when you need to speak to a manager? Because you need a decision maker. You need someone that can accomplish what needs to happen. What's wonderful about this idea, let my request come before you. Let my supplication come before you. Let my, let my cry come before you, O oh God, is when you have a genuine need that can only be solved or answered or dealt with by the supernatural, I can't help you. I can't help you. You know, if I need a wall framed, I go to Kevin. Because he can frame a wall. He knows what he's doing. If I need an air conditioner fixed, I call Jeremy Folsom. He knows how to do that. He can, he can take care of that. I have a baby that's dying. Jeremy can't help me. Kevin can't help me. Only God can help me. And this is so important for us to understand. What David learned was that he needs God 
listen, listen, for everything. Not just the big need, not just the baby dying. He needs God for his daily sustaining, for every aspect of his life, for every bit of his understanding. And he wants that request to come specifically to God. Ultimately, his meditation on God's word has revealed to him that his need is for God to come near to him. The other thing, he wants that cry. He wants his supplication. See in verse 70, let my supplication come before thee. Um, th- this idea of before God, before the throne of God, I've been, I've been meditating on that a lot lately. And it, it is literally before. So if, if this is the throne of God, this is where I want my request. I, I want my request right here. And this is where I want to live. Isn't that wonderful? But I'll tell you what's really fun. This is, this is so cool. We're not going to live here. We're actually in the throne of God. Why? Because we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And right now, Jesus doesn't have his own throne. Jesus is sitting in the Father's throne. And one day he's going to return to the earth and he's going to sit on the throne of David and it will be his throne in Jerusalem. Until then, the Bible says that he's not yet put all things under his feet. He will. He will. So right now in this world, I bring my petitions before the throne of God. I want God to hear them. What David did not know, because this had not yet been accomplished is that when Jesus Christ died and rose again, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and the Father sent, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, that not only is God in us, but we are in God. Because we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. That body is Jesus Christ's body, and that body is seated at the right hand of the Father, In the throne of God. So I don't just come before the throne. I am in the throne. I am very near to the heart of God. Do you remember? That which we have seen with our eyes. That which we have held with our hands of the word of life. That's what John said in the book of 1 John. Remember that disciple whom Jesus loved. And he he had his resting his head on Jesus. Remember that? We're even closer. We're in Him. This meditation on God's Word, it made David want to draw near to God, and it made David want God to draw near to him. But when we meditate on the New Testament, when we meditate on what the Apostle Paul wrote for us, we have something that David never even, listen, he never even imagined it. He never dreamed it. Do you realize that God is at hand? He's right here with us all the time. That's what we need to meditate on. He's not far from us. That we are in him and he's in us. Isn't that a blessing? Praise God. Meditating on God's word. What does it accomplish? 
It helps me know where I am. If you're not born again, you are far from God. You're at enmity. You're at war with God. And God wants that war to go away if you will just confess your sin and trust Him as Savior. He will save you. Look, look at verse 171. Meditation on God's Word is, it's caused Him to speak it. So you will look at verse 171. My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. So have you ever noticed you talk about what you're thinking about? How many of you remember Charles and Dorothy, um, Charles and Dorothy, what was the last name? What? Thompson. Charlie Thompson, Charles Thompson, he'd be cleaning the building, or I went by their house one day and he was raking leaves. And whatever he was thinking about, he would just start saying it like mid-thought, like you had been with him. Whatever he was thinking about, that's what was coming out in, in what he said. And we're all that way. Um, what do you all think this is? It's a fountain pen. And I love this fountain pen. It is awesome. I've got ox blood ink in it, and I got some of that. It looked like I was bleeding. It's a great color. I love it. And isn't that pretty? And here's the best part about it. It was 10 bucks. I texted Dalt. I said, you've got to get one of these pens. It's $10. It writes. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's, and what am I doing right now? Other than wasting your time. What am I doing? I, I, I've been talking about what's been on my mind. What I've been thinking about. That's what we do. Have you ever met someone that you can't be with them without hearing about their problems? What is that person thinking about? Their problems. Have you ever been around a new grandparent? What do they talk about? Why? That's what's on their mind. That's, and we're about to experience that. I don't, think, I, I don't think I got a big enough raise this year in the church meeting because I got a grandbaby coming. You know what I mean? It, it's on your mind. And it's so funny, you don't even look Lydia in the eye anymore. It's all about that. <laughs> She's just carrying the precious. Listen to what Spurgeon said. You know, we couldn't, get, we couldn't finish without Spurgeon, right? The worst of us, the worst part of us, the worst of us is that, for the most part, we are full of our own words and speak little of God's word. See, what, my problem is I talk about my life to people. I talk about my job. I talk about my joys. I talk about my struggles. I talk about my ministry, the things that I'm doing. How much time do we as believers here in this room spend interacting with each other, speaking about God's words? How much better, how much better would our evangelism be if my lips are full of God's word? If my tongue is all about God's word. I wonder if our speech is any different than the world's speech. Well, that's convicting to me. 
It's very convicting to me. Um, let's see. So we all speak what we're thinking about, but notice this. His longing changed. What did he long for? Notice what it says. Um, Verse 171, my lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. Verse 174, I have longed for thy salvation, O Lord, but thy law, I'm sorry, and thy law is my delight. This, this is an interesting thing. For David, his meditation on God's word still caused him to long for salvation. Do you see that? Do you long for salvation? No, you celebrate it. Aren't you glad that you don't have to pace the floor? Oh, God, am, are you going to save me? I, I don't know if I'm of the elect. I, I don't know if you chose me or not. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. God, I'm, I've got all this sin in my life. How in the world can I ever go to heaven? And God would say to you, if you would meditate on his word, that's why you need a savior. God didn't come for the well. He came for the sick. And we're all sick. We all have the sin virus. And there's no vaccine. There's only healing. And that healing, that cure, is from the word of God. And you know what's good? Listen, listen. I like this. Once you get that, you don't need a second dose. You're just clean. You're just pure. You're just saved. But but I love this. There's two notice there's a difference in the language in this verse than from earlier in the chapter. And really studying the words, I think Spurgeon may have pointed this out to me. I really like this. Notice what it says in verse 174. I have longed for thy salvation, O Lord, and thy law is my delight. Not because. See, now my delight in the Bible as I meditate on God's word, it's more than me doing it to get something from God. And now listen. It's okay to serve God because he's going to give you a reward at the judgment seat of Christ. That's why it's called a reward. You run for the prize. Paul talked about that. You run for the prize. And it's the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful. I'm very glad that when I do something for God, that he will reward me for that at the judgment seat of Christ. That's what we want. Are you all with me on that? Right? So it's okay to work for the reward, but it's better to work because you love him. And here, David's righteousness that he's seeking was so he could be saved in his mind. For me, man, I'm saved by his righteousness because I don't have any. Is that right? And the more I meditate on God's word, the more I love it for what it is. We all understand the feeling of someone is is our friend because of what we can do for them. Right? Someone is our friend because of what we can do for them. It really moves to the next level when they're our friend just because they're our friend. 
That's, that's the wonderful kind of relationship that you want between your husband and wife. That's what you want. This is what God wants for us in his word. Meditating on God's word, it causes me to delight in it, not for anything other than the word's sake. All right, let me go a little bit faster here. Um, oh, this is so much fun. Meditation results in life, joy, and praise. Notice what it says here. Um, verse 175, let my soul live and it shall praise thee and let thy judgments help me. Let my soul live and it shall praise thee. This praise, it's so important. Um, again, when we meditate on God's word, all of his commandments become righteousness to us. So hold your place here and go to, go to the book of uh, Romans chapter 7. Y'all doing okay? Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 12. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. The commandment of God is holy and just and good. Now, you know there's all kinds of conversations about what is holiness. And are there any conversations about justice right now? Right? But the thing that we need to understand is that God's commandments are, not only are they holy, not only are they just, but they are good. And the problem is that we, so um, there was a USA Today article about Oral Roberts University and how it's, it should be this, this great story about this small school making it to the Sweet 16, and it's a small school, it's a great success story, but the problem is it's a conservative evangelical school that is, um, that is homophobic. It reminds me of when President Bush went and visited Bob Jones University, and there was this big uproar because Bob Jones is anti-Catholic. The school's anti-Catholic, so it was horrible that he was there. And my answer was, yeah, it's Protestant. Who knows what Protestant means? Anti-Catholic, protesting against the Catholic Church. That's what it is. How can people be so dumb? If they weren't anti-Catholic, they wouldn't be Protestant. And if he had gone to a Catholic church, would they have said, oh, he shouldn't really be there because they are anti-Protestant. Has anyone heard of the Counter-Reformation? It, it, has anyone heard of Loyola University? Ignatius Loyola, his whole purpose with the Knights of God was to fight against the Protestants because they don't agree. Are you all with me on this? You following me? See, here's what that USA Today columnist didn't understand. Is that God's judgment about that behavior is holy, it's just, and it's good. It's good. And the more I meditate on God's word, the more I understand. And what's amazing is when I meditate on God's word, 
And then I look at the world through the lenses of Scripture. Now I can see what that behavior, what that lifestyle is doing to destroy that person. And if I love that person, I will love them to the cross. I will love them to Christ. I will speak the truth to them in love. And I will not speak to them according to hatred. It's vital. But speaking the truth, listen, is not hatred. It's love. It's love. So when we meditate on God's word, then we understand. Notice what it says. Go back to Psalm 119. It changes the way we talk about these things. Verse 171 again. My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. So, I'm almost done this morning, trying to go a little shorter today. But I want you to see that four things that righteousness, or I'm sorry, four things that meditation does. Four things that meditation does. Number one, we break through, when we meditate on God's word, we break through our sinful silence. We break through our sinful silence. Notice what it says in verse 171. My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. When God through his spirit has given me understanding of his word. Do you see what it says in verse 169? Let my cry come near before thee, O Lord. Give me understanding according to thy word. I understand his statutes. And not only know them, I understand them. Then what happens is I start speaking them. It, it overcomes my sinful silence. And what I learn is that my silence is sin. My failure to speak the word of God to other people, that is sin. How many of you, you genuinely desire God's blessing in your life? You know where I'm going, but, but how many of you genuinely desire God's blessing in your life? God rewards faithfulness, and he does not reward sin. And for us to fail to speak of his goodness, to praise his name publicly, that is sin. And we just need to change our thinking on that. And I know somebody out there is thinking, I don't want to. I know. That's why we have to meditate on God's word. Then we understand how important it is because we have understanding. So we break through our sinful silence. We are no longer cowardly or half-hearted. We're no, have you ever been afraid to speak up for God? I have. But when I meditate on God's word and I trust it and I understand its power, it breaks through my own cowardice. Then number three, we become true witnesses for Christ. We become true witnesses for Christ. Number four, we move beyond speaking of his works. Listen, we move beyond speaking of his works and begin speaking of his word. It's like a poet, you know, writing about his young love for his bride. You know, she has eyes like pools, cesspools. She has beautiful hair all down her back, none on her head, it's all down her back. Those are the silly things that kids write. And then you start to get to some real poetry. Oh, her beauty. And you write about her hair and her eyes and her lips and her teeth. And she's just gorgeous. And her sweet voice that tickles my ears. And how many of you can tell I'd be a terrible poet? Awful. 
I'd have to start doing a song, you know, steal somebody else's words. But there's something that happens in a, in a godly marriage. It moves beyond how she looks to who she is. It's a wonderful thing that you, sometimes it will be described as the mother of my children, the, the keeper of my life. It, it changes the, her presence. And then when, when the loved one dies and they, they try to remember all that they've lost and to identify all that they've lost, it's the touch. It's the, the scent. It's the, just the feeling of the presence. It's the kind word. It's never, I miss the hair. I miss the striped suit. You see the difference? This is what happens when we know God. See, we stop speaking about what he does and we begin speaking about who he is. He's holy, he's righteous, he's just, he's all love, he's, he's beautiful. Everything about him is wonderful. My discussion changes from can he heal me to who he is. I begin to speak about him, not about what he does. It changes. Spurgeon again, the subject gives us plenty of room. We may speak on forever. The tale is forever telling yet untold. You can never say enough about God's word. Now, verse 172, end of the verse, for all thy commandments are righteous. I want you to notice something right here that's really fun. I said righteous, didn't I? What's the word? Righteousness. See, his words are not only right, they actually are righteousness. See, do you understand the difference there? One is a description. Yes, they're correct. They're true. One is understanding this is what righteousness actually is. If I will hide God's word in my heart, then I don't sin against God. I understand that this is actually righteousness. Then look at verse 173. Let thine hand help me, for I have chosen thy precepts. See, I need more than the help of God's people. I need the very hand of God on my life. Uh, the, the specific of it. Verse 175, let my soul live and it shall praise thee and let thy judgments help me. Here's what meditation on God's word does. Meditation on God's word makes us thankful. And it's thankful that's, it's thankfulness that is expressed. I, I have found myself, so Laura and I have been married for 30 years now, and we got married when we were 12. No. And what I, what I find is I am more and more thankful, again, for the kind of person that she is and the life that she gives us. And it's causing me to say it more. I, I have found myself saying out loud, thank you for whatever. And... I would watch, when I was a young man, I would watch couples that had been married for decades. And really, if you find three kinds of relationships. 
you find the kind that all they do is snipe at each other. You know what I'm talking about? You're never on time. You're never on time. You, you make, you're, you're, you always burn my supper. The, the tea's never sweet enough, right? They're just, I can't believe that you would do this. I get so tired of you. You talk so much, right? You've been around that. And then there's the kind that seem like they just ignore each other. He has his life. She has her life. They live in the same house. They don't really disagree, but they don't, they're not really involved in each other's lives. And then you see other couples that are inseparable. They're one. Which one do you think is the most biblical? The one. You young couples, my desire for you is that you and your spouse become one. That you become one. And of course we say that in the marriage ceremony. One in purpose. One. That, that, that's, that's the goal. Do you realize the rarity of that? How many of you recognize how rare that is? And the reason for it is it, it's work. It's dying to self. It's prayer, it's investing in the other person, but there is, a, there is a maturity to a relationship that God wants to give us, and what happens, the result of that is praise. You say it, it comes out. What meditation on God's Word does is it causes us to be, joy, causes us to be joyful people. See, at Grace Baptist Church, sometimes I feel like we have, we've, we've grown to the place where in that spiritual progression of maturity in First John, I write unto you, little children, because you know that your sins are forgiven. I write unto you, young men, because you, you have overcome the wicked one. You're strong in the word, and you've overcome the wicked one. And then I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I feel like we're, we're young men. I feel like we've had some victories in our Christian life. I feel like we know the truth, and we know how to combat error, and, and we're, those, we're the young guys that they send into battle. But do we know God? Do we know the Father? The only way that happens is through meditation on God's Word and prayer to God. That's the only way that it happens. And what happens is you can tell a person's spiritual maturity by their praise. Let me say that again. You can, you can gauge a person's spiritual maturity by their praise. Men, if it's been a long time since you complimented your wife, you need to meditate on God's word. You need to meditate on all that she does for you. And you need to praise her. Ladies, if, you have, if it's been a long time since you praised your husband, you need to praise him. There's no, ladies, there's no way you can know how much your husband needs your encouragement. And did you know that God does not need our praise? We need to praise him. It fixes our mind on him. Let's finish it here. Verse 176. This is the end. This is, this is what he concluded. After meditating on God's word, the longest chapter in the Bible, all about meditating on God's word. Verse 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. What did he learn? What's the conclusion of the matter? He comes to the realization that the seeker is actually God. Ultimately, is God who seeks the lost sheep. Meditation on the Word of God shows me, listen, how lost I am. I need Him. I need Him. Remember when the Bible says, there's none that seeketh after God? 
Why did Jesus come? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. And you know, uh, I love it. He's still seeking us. Even though we're in him. Even though we're in the throne with him. He not only wants that, our, our salvation, he wants our conscious acknowledgement of him. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. The constant awareness of God. Meditation on God's word, it does some stuff. Amen? Let's all stand together. How many of you here would say that, that honestly, that even just this morning, that you've kind of seen your spiritual maturity held up to the light of God's word, and you realize you've got some work to do? Any of you? That's what happened to me through this. Let's not waste this moment. Let's not waste it. Let's acknowledge just the beauty and the magnificence and the splendor of God's Word and how distracted we are from it. What's your fountain pen? What is it that you are thinking about? Now, it's fun to have hobbies. I don't think my fountain pen fetish is sin. Laura may disagree. But what is it that is keeping you from meditating on God's Word? That is keeping you from acknowledging your need for the nearness of God? That's stopping you from speaking God's words to other people? What what is stopping you? What, What is distracting you from living a life of praise? The last question I'll ask you. Has God been good to you? Has God been good? Who have you told? When's the last time you said that out loud to somebody? Lord, we love you. And I know I don't talk about you enough. I don't talk about your word enough. Father, help us to live a life of praise.